He says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And that's just kind of a simple, you might call it a benediction to that whole passage that we read in our scripture reading. And I thought in preparation for our time this morning in uh, the around the communion table that we would just focus a little bit about uh, God's gifts and uh, what exactly... Um, that means. Do you guys have the wrong outline? Did I print out the wrong outline? Do you have uh, which outline do you have? Do you have the one when grace appeared? Oh, okay, good. Because <laughs> I'm looking at the one that I have last week's outline, and I'm thinking, well, if I have it, maybe everybody else has it. So, but anyway, um, it's funny because I don't know if it, growing up, if you can recall certain gifts that maybe you got when you were a child. Um, I remember one year I got this mini bike, and it was an Artie Cat mini bike. My brother worked for Artie Cat Snowmobile Corporation, and we had all these demos. And, and uh, sure enough, one Christmas morning, there was this uh, mini bike under the tree with this big bow on it. And uh, I remember just being so excited about that. You know, it just had a little lawnmower engine on it, but it was still, you know, one of those gifts that you get kind of like once a chance in a lifetime. And, and I remember I was so excited to ride this thing, and I had to wait for everybody to open their gifts. And, you know, and I had some other ones, but they didn't interest me as much as this mini bike. And I remember it was kind of a cool, brisk Pennsylvania winter morning out, and there was a little bit of ice, but nothing, nothing bad. You know, the driveway was dry, and there was some snow around, but for the most part, you know, I didn't care. I was going to buckle up and go out and ride my mini bike. And so we put gas in the gas tank, and I, I went down the uh, driveway, and I came back up. And uh, my brother wanted to take it for a spin. And as he was getting on it, he looked and he goes, oh, wait a minute, we got a problem. And the little fuel cock that you turn on, the, on a motorcycle, it was just, fuel was just coming out of this thing. And it was broke. And I, you know, and I remember the disappointment thinking, okay, well, and I remember trying to rag around this thing <laughs> and, and trying to take a couple more spins, but it was useless. I mean, I had to get a whole new part. And I remember it took probably two or three weeks to get this part that I needed to ride my mini bike. And sometimes Christmas is, is like that. You know, you get something and then you realize, wow, okay, this is great. I, I'm so excited about this. But then something happens either to the gift or whatever. And it's almost kind of like a, a letdown. In a lot of ways. And uh, a lot of times, no matter what we receive at Christmas time, no matter how high the price tag may be on the technological device that we got or anything like that, um, it generally disappoints you after a period of time. That's just the way it is. Um, someone once said, the only difference between men and boys is the price of their toys. <laughs> okay, that's true. Uh, that's so true. And a lot of times, this time of the year is hard for um, just different people. And, um, you know, so I want to look at the, the aspect of God's gift and, um, you know, the greatest gift of all. And if you want to have a Merry Christmas this year, if you want to experience Christmas the way it was meant to be, um, you need to understand and embrace the essential message of the season that we celebrate. And that is the message that basically it's, it's Emmanuel God with us. That's, that's what this season is all about. Emmanuel, God with us. Um, but it seems somehow during this time of the year, uh, somehow we forget the essence of that message. It just kind of gets lost. Um, we were recently down at a, a pastor's conference down at Greg Laurie's church, and a pastor who spoke there, Bob Coy, he explained one Christmas um, there were... 
kind of gathering the family around, and his little boy was going to pray. His little boy's named Christian. And so one night he he was going to you know pray with the, the the folks there around the table or whatever. And the little boy prayed this. And God, thank you for sending your only forgotten son. <laughs> He meant to say begotten son, but he said forgotten son. And I'm thinking, boy, you know, it's kind of cute. But that's what happens at this time of the year. For many people, even Christians, at Christmas time, God's, be- God's son becomes the only forgotten son. That's what happens. Think of this. Think of, of say that you're going to have a landmark 50th birthday. And the church is going to throw you a big party. And, you know, it's not a surprise party per se, but it's just a, you know, a party and, and everybody's invited and, and, uh, you know, everybody's getting ready and they have a big cake with your name on it. And they even, they even thought it would be neat to go out and invent songs and write songs using your name and your personality and everything. So they did all that and they learned all these songs. And the day came when, you know, everybody was gathered at this house and you were supposed to be the guest of honor, but somehow somebody forgot to give you an invitation. So you're home and you're thinking, okay, I know the, I know the party's tonight. And, but, you know, they probably forgot, so I'll just show up. And you pull in the driveway and there's cars and there's people and all these, you know, stuff's going on inside. You see the lights and, you know, outside they have this big sign, happy birthday and your name and everything. And you're going, wow, this is, this is pretty incredible. And so you go up and, you know, you're thinking, well, they won't mind. It's my party. So you start knocking on the door, but they can't hear you because they're singing all these songs that they, you know, made up about you and, and everything. And they're just having a great time in there. And you try to knock and knock and knock and nobody comes to the door. And eventually you basically just go home. That's what happens at Christmas time. We, we do all this stuff. We decorate. We go shopping, you know, for all the loved ones and even those who aren't so much loved. And we do all this stuff. And, you know, the, one of the newest, well, maybe not new for some of you, but I didn't realize how many people actually under the tree, they put gifts for like their animals. Carolyn, you would probably be one of these. Um, I'm sure Bob's wife does this uh, for their dog or cat or whatever. I just thought, what? What? You know, that's just so foreign to me. But I, I thought, well, okay. You know, so everybody's getting in on this thing. But it seems like we have somehow forgot the the meaning of Christmas and forgot the you know the presence of his his presence in his life. We're always focused on what's underneath the tree, and somehow God's only begotten Son has become the only forgotten Son especially nowadays. Uh, it reminds me of the passage in the Bible where Joseph and Mary and Jesus traveled to Jerusalem for the annual Passover feast. You remember? And they got there and they got taken care of everything. And, and you know, the Passover feast basically is, is, it all surrounds Christ himself. They didn't know it at the time, but that's what it's all about. And they're leaving. And you remember on the way home, they're like, hey, wait a minute, where's Jesus? They forgot the Son of God. And they went back and they found him in the temple. That's what happens sometimes. But this real gift that we're going to talk about this morning, the real gift of Christmas, Emmanuel, God with us, you know, it's not so much about presence under the tree, okay? We're not talking about that. We're talking about his presence in your life. We're talking about the presence of Christ in your life. I mean, if you stop and you think about it, it boggles my mind how God could have been a baby, how Jesus could have been a baby. I mean, you know, I, I think of our little granddaughter, Gabrielle, and I remember when she was just born and, and she needed constant care. 
She still needs constant care, but and you'll know why when she gets here. But um, you know, she's in everything. But she needed to be nursed. She needed to be changed. She needed to be taken care of every minute of the day. You couldn't just let her alone and just say, "Okay, well, have a nice day. We're coming back at five. You know, we're going to take a break." You can't do that with a newborn baby. And when I think of the Almighty God, the Creator of the universe, as this tiny, helpless little baby. Doesn't that just blow your mind? It just kind of fills my heart with wonder, thinking, how could that have happened? How is that possible? C.H. Spurgeon, go ahead and put the quote up there on C.H. Spurgeon. I like what he said. He said, infinite, yet an infant, eternal, yet born of a woman, supporting a universe, yet needing to be carried in a mother's arms, heir of all things, and yet the carpenter's son. That puts it beautifully. Second uh, Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of God of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that through his poverty we might become rich. Uh, that promise that, that's enveloped in the Christmas message is, is so very real to most of us. But sometimes it gets kind of shoved to the side. And we tend to, you know, forget about it. We hear... Those familiar songs on the radio or whatever. I love to listen to this radio station. They're already playing. There's some FM station. I forget what it is. They're already playing 24-7 Christmas music, you know. So whenever I'm in the core, and it's, it's you know, religious music as well as secular music. But still, I mean, it's just, it just brings that kind of remembrance back of those times you're growing up with Christmas and family and all that stuff. And it gives you kind of a, a good feeling in your heart. Um, but you know what? Then you go to the mall. And you're trying to find a shopping or a, a parking spot and you're literally fighting with someone over a parking spot or standing in line or whatever it might be. Or maybe Christmas morning comes and the gift that you wanted, that you told everybody you wanted, you opened up everything and they didn't get it for you. All right. In general, there's always some disappointment around this time of the year. And it's sad because when it's all said and done, when all the food has been consumed and all the parties are over and all the trees go out on the curb to be picked up by the trash guy, Unless you're like me, down in the desert. <laughs> My wife said, well, just put it out on the curb, you know, the tree, after it's all brittle and everything. No, no, i got a better idea. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to torch it in the fireplace. This will be fun. I mean, we're in the desert, you know, so there's not a whole lot down there to burn. So I thought, well... So one night, you know, I get my trusty little saw out, and I start hacking the limbs off, and I just pack my fireplace full of these pine branches. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. Okay, Crystal and Amiga, stand back. This is going to be cool, you know. So I'll throw a match in, and the thing just, you know, just goes up in a flame, you know. And it's like, a, you know, and I'm throwing more branches in because i got all these branches. i got to get rid of them, you know. I'm still too prideful to admit that I was wrong doing this. And I thought, boy, I wonder if there's any sparks or, you know, anything that possibly could. And I go outside and no lie, man, my chimney is like a F-18 afterburner. It's just, you know, and there's stuff going everywhere. Luckily, it's mostly sand down there. But I'm surprised somebody didn't call the fire department or whatever on me. But I did burn it up one year. Don't do that. That's not a good idea. Put it out on the curb and let the trap guy pick it up. But when all that's done, you know, it's not about Christmas presents. It's about, as we said, Christ's presence in our life. Um, the, Bi- the Bible says that Christmas is not so much about giving a gift as it is about receiving a gift. And, you know... Paul put it this way in Romans, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
And it goes on, he goes on there, and we read it this morning, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. You know, when someone offers you a gift, um, what do you have to do, basically, to benefit from that gift? Take it, right? You just receive it. Um, you know, you, you just receive it. And then, uh, you know, some people around Christmas time like to play jokes. And so they take a gift and they wrap it up like a billion times, you know, and went box after box after box or some kind of pat paper that you can't take off the the, 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 the box itself or tape or something that takes you an hours to, to open up the gift. But you have to receive the gift. You have to open it up. And that's really what what Christ is telling us this time of the year. He's saying, hey, don't forget that I'm the gift. I'm the gift that God gave the human race. Um, sometimes around this time of the year, you kind of run into... Vandals, things like that. I remember last year we had some kids, you know, it was late at night, it's probably 1130, and all of a sudden you hear this car out in front of the house, and, and Bika goes, something happened out in front of the house. I'm like, well, what? You know, I look out there and a little reindeer, they're toppled over, you know, the lights are strewn everywhere. You know, they just play pranks like that. Um, but he, I heard of this one, one story where this guy got his little plastic Jesus with a light bulb inside. You know, if you have a little nativity, that's usually what they are, little plastic things. And uh, somebody stole it from his front yard. And, you know, obviously, I mean, he was upset. But so he, he went to the furthest extreme, putting in the newspaper and all this stuff. I mean, he was really ticked off that somebody took his little plastic Jesus with a light bulb inside. And I'm thinking, you know, sometimes we get upset over the silliest thing. It's not like he really took Jesus himself. And it seems like today, in the day and age we live, in the society we live in, the culture we live in, it's almost like they want to just remove the name of Christ from anything having to do with Christmas. And I know some of you say, well, I don't see that too much, whatever. But it's all around us. It's truly all around us. They have situations up in Washington where they're, you know, I mean, they're putting up different signs and everything just because they want everybody to have free speech. So the atheists have theirs right next to the manger, which seems a little uncalled for. For me, but I, I just thought, you know, it's kind of kind of silly. In Portland, Maine, there was a site manager for an apartment complex, and he put out this kind of uh, statement before Christmas. There shall be no angels, crosses, stars of David, or any other icons of religion displayed on the walls, floors, ceilings, etc. of your apartment buildings, except within your own apartment. Kind of silly. All right. Um, or even the, the grade school principal in Sacramento who was strictly warned his teachers that using the word Christmas on any written materials at all in their classroom was totally forbidden. You know, when you go to the holidays, buying, you know, the market, the mall, you, very seldom do you hear Merry Christmas. Usually it's Happy Holidays. They don't want to offend anybody. Um, you know, I just say, hey, just say Merry Christmas to them. And throw in a little Jesus loves you too or something, you know, along the thing with a big smile on your face. Because people long to hear that. And when you say it, it almost kind of like, you know, breaks the ice. It's like, wow, okay, that is what this is about. Um, in Saratoga Springs, uh, New York, a third grader, um, or basically they had, a, they had a, a Christmas project and it was confiscated by the principal. And entering the classroom, he was struck with horror when he saw boys and girls adorning an oversized Christmas ornament with colored photos of snowflakes. 
What's that have to do with Christmas? I don't know. He quickly removed the offending item from sight, the article says, and there was no word as to whether the teacher was allowed to keep her job. She probably had to go through it, sensitivity training or something like that. Um, but that's not what this season is about. It's not trying to sterilize and take Jesus, the name of Christ, out of everything that we celebrate. Um, it's almost like he's a missing person this time of the year. Um, Redwood City had their big... Anybody go to the parade last, last night down at Redwood City? Nobody. Okay. Well, that says so much about the parade. <laughs> but <laughs> it's not a big deal, trust me. You know, they got everything but anything having to do with Christ. And it's just kind of silly. Um, you know, and it's, 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 it's kind of like, you know, the, the, the story I heard of a, a little kid who, who ran into a church around Christmas time and he saw the priest standing up there on the altar and saw all these candles up and down the aisle and everything. And, uh, this little kid didn't know what was going on. So he ran around and he started blowing out all the candles and singing happy birthday to Jesus. Well, obviously the priest wasn't too happy about that. And later the priest showed up at the, at the little kid's home. And uh, the mother answered the door and said, yes, Father, what can I do? Well, I need to talk to your little boy. You know, okay. So she calls him down, and there he is, this little kid, you know, he's six or seven, he's standing there, and this priest is there, and he's angry. And he starts, uh, you know, I, I don't think what you did tonight was, was honoring to God. And the little boy's just standing there, you know. And uh, finally he, he goes, do you know where God is? The little boy's kind of stepped back. Do you know where God is? And he stepped back again. And the guy yelled it again at him. Do you know where God is? And the little boy finally just ran up to his room and crying. So the priest left and the mother went up to the little boy's room. He said, you know, honey, what's wrong? You know, he goes, mommy, he goes, God is missing from that church. Somebody stole him and they think it's me. <laughs> you know, sadly, Christ is missing <laughs> from a lot of churches. And from a lot of celebrations when it has to do with Christmas time. There's a lot of things that it seems that somehow Christ has been sterilized from it. It reminds me in Revelation chapter 2, when the Word of God tells us about losing your first love. And he writes this to a church at Ephesus. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men. I know that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you found them out to be false. Uh, you've pre preserved and have endured hardship for my name's sake and have not grown weary. I mean, it sounds like a church that's pretty much got it together. And then he says this in Revelation 2. He says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove the lampstand from its place. What a sobering account to a church. I mean, I'm sure this church was a busy church. I'm sure it was an active church just by what he tells us about it. I'm sure it was even a productive church. They wouldn't tolerate false teaching. They seem to have, from what he says, all their doctrinal ducks in a row. But somehow all their activity, all the work and all the study that they had put in, somehow they lost sight of the very Savior that saved them. 
And the Lord says to them, you have left your first love. How do you know when you've left your first love? Chuck Swindoll, I think this last week, he said this. You know it when work has taken the place of worship. When perspiration has taken the place of inspiration. That's good. And so this great physician, our Lord himself, writes a prescription for this church in Ephesus for revival. And he says... I want you to do three things. There's three R's of getting right with God. And you know what? This is something that we have to do on an ongoing basis. It's not something you just do when you're saved and that's it. And then you live the perfect Christian life. No, this is something we have to reflect upon time and time again. And what a better time to reflect upon it than Communion Sunday. First of all, you have to remember. Secondly, you have to repent. And thirdly, you have to repeat those things that you did when you first came to Christ. You remember a time in your life, you probably do, when it seemed like you were closer to God than you are right now, for whatever reason. And somehow you're not in that place anymore. You're not as close to God as you were at that point in time. But you can remember what it was like. You can remember the excitement of getting the opportunity to open up God's Word. You can remember the excitement of witnessing somebody. You can remember the excitement of, of going to the Lord in prayer, praying for others, going out and witnessing Maybe you go back and you read through some of your old journals. You're going, man, where is this joy gone? Where is this love for the Lord gone? I seem to be missing it. Well, you have to get back to that. Remember the way it was when you first came to Christ. You remember the, that passion, that excitement. We want to get back to that. when we look forward to being with other believers at church, or when we look forward to, to, to getting together with other believers around the Bible study, God's Word, or maybe worship times, it wasn't just something we had to do. It was something we enjoyed doing. You were excited about when you got that time alone with God. It was just you and Him in prayer before the busyness of the, the day started. See, frankly, if those things don't excite you to some degree, if they don't kind of give you a little bit of excitement, man, yeah, that's right. What he's saying is right. There's something spiritually wrong. There's something disconnected in your heart. But as Jesus tells this church, he says, first of all, remember from where you've fallen. And then he says, repent. And basically that means change your direction. Change the direction from where you're going. And then repeat those things that you used to do when Jesus was number one in your life. Um, sometimes I'm amazed, even as someone who's in full-time ministry, how I can go through a, out a day without even intimately thinking about Jesus Christ. And you say, what? <laughs> it happens. It happens. I mean, I, to be honest with you, I think part of the reason that God put me into the role I'm in within the church is because he knew my heart. He knew that, you know what, if this guy doesn't have to do something every week, <laughs> if people aren't waiting on something from him every week spiritually, he'll be over here playing with stuff that pff, he shouldn't be playing with. He'll be over here pursuing things that I don't want him to pursue. 
And just even with that responsibility of having to get up and, and somehow do something that I feel totally unept and, and inadequate to do within myself on a weekly basis, somehow God uses that in my life to keep me at least somewhat focused. But even during that, there are days I go through the day and I'm like, man, where'd the day go? Didn't even have a devotion today. Didn't even, you know, maybe offered up a prayer at lunch, but, you know, wow. And we all deal with that. Have we lost sight of Jesus? Have we lost sight of that intimate relationship that he desires us to have? See, what we do, and I put this in your outline, it's up on the screen, don't just try to work him into your busy schedule. (laughs) But change your busy schedule and make time for him or for God's word. That's what we have to do. Because it's never going to happen if you're just going to take Jesus and try to squeeze him into your busy schedule. Especially this time of year. I mean, you know, you got the Christmas dinner, you got relatives, you got to go shop for you, you got this, you got that, you got all the party at work, you got all stuff going on. You know, you're leaving in a couple of weeks to go on a trip and you're packing and doing all the stuff, making a list of all the, the gifts, checking it twice, you know, and out of your nice. That's the whole deal. You just get overwhelmed. And I think it would honor God to take time and, and, and just to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to change my schedule. I'm not going to be a, a slave to my schedule anymore. I'm going to put you right in the middle. And if this doesn't get done first, then it's not going to get done. Jesus tells us that's the way we should be living. Don't lose Jesus this Christmas. Don't lose sight of the, the fact that that's why we're celebrating this holiday. That's why we decorate the church. That's why we decorate our houses. Um, I sent an email to somebody this past week. I wanted to put the picture up, but I forgot to do it. It just dawned on me. I sent an email. My brother Rick sent me an email, and it says in the email, my wife's been after me for weeks to put up the Christmas lights, and now that I did, she's a little upset. And then it shows a picture of a wad of Christmas lights, just a Big wad of Christmas lights hanging from the a hook on the front front porch. That's it. And I thought, boy, that that definitely speaks to my heart, you know. But you know that's so true, and we tend to lose sight of the celebration that we should be having in our own heart. Um, read on the internet a little article about a guy who just his his senses just got over. Worked. I mean, he, he just blew it. His circuits just went into overload. And it was the day before he ended up in jail. Basically, here's what happened. Rummaging through some boxes in the garage and finally found these lights that his wife's been badgering him to put up. Gets the lights out. He dumps them on the driveway. And they're, you know, in the... Typical Christmas ball. You know, it's just a bunch of t- lights and just a mess. So he's a busy man. So he's trying to get this stuff unraveled. And he gets the thing all unraveled. And it's all straightened out kind of, you know, in big loops in the driveway. He's ready to hang it up. He goes back in the garage to get the hammer and the little tack to put the things up in the front yard. And his daughter inadvertently runs in to the driveway on her bicycle and proceeds to run over practically every set of lights that he just unraveled. Well, this guy just saw red. I mean, he just blew it. You know, the veins in his side of his head and his neck were just bulging out. And he just lost it. And he remembers his anger management class. And they said, you know, you need to just blow off some steam. You need to go do it. And 
So he goes into the house and he gets his gun. It's 45. And so I'm going out of the backyard and I'm going to blow off some steam. So he loads this thing up, starts shooting some rounds into the, you know, into the ground. I mean, he just totally lost it. Well, obviously the police were called and he's trying to explain to the police officer, you know, well, the anger management people said that I need to deal with my anger. And I thought, what better, better way to do it than fire a gun? You know, it's like, okay, you know, get a clue, buddy. But sometimes people are pushed to their brink at this time of the year. It just happens. At the end of the little thing there, it said, in the case of that family, someone might have revised the lyrics of this song, Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire. They may have changed them to Chestnuts Roasting as He Opens Fire. You know, that's, that's just typical, though. People just tend to lose it this time of the year. And we have all these false expectations that we're trying to, you know, work toward. And it's, it's, it's sad because, you know what, we lose the real point of this whole holiday time. Some people think that, you know what, Christmas time, let the Christians do their little deal. You know, they go sing their carols in the Christmas Eve service and worship Jesus, whatever. That's how unbelievers kind of look at it sometimes. And they kind of look at it as, you know, I don't need Jesus. I'm in control of my own life. I decide what direction I'm going. I'm going to do this and do that. And you know what, beloved, it doesn't work that way. Life doesn't work that way. Uh, People who reject Jesus Christ are not in control of their own lives. Nor they're making their own agenda. They're not setting their own plan. According to the Bible in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 26, Paul writes this. He says, be humble when you are trying to teach those who are mixed up concerning the truth. For if you talk meekly and courteously to them, they are more likely with God's help to turn away from their wrong ideas and believe what is true. Then it says this, then they will come to their senses and escape from Satan's trap of slavery to sin, which he uses to catch them whenever he likes. And then they can begin doing the will of God. See, you don't realize that when you're an unbeliever. You don't realize that, you know what, you're not setting your own agenda. You're not in control of your own life. You're a slave. You're a slave to sin. You're a slave to Satan. He has his way with you. You may not want to believe that, but that's the truth. And it's not so much different than it was in the time of Jesus. I mean, here you have all these religious experts around the time of Jesus, these theological heavyweights. And they totally, basically missed the whole point because they were trapped in their religion. I mean, Herod called them the wise men. And he asked him, where is he who is born the king of the Jews? They knew the answer. It was in Bethlehem. They could probably quote chapter verse to the evil king. And yet the religious people of Jesus' day, the supposed guardians of the truth, missed the whole thing. They wouldn't bother even to walk a few miles to Bethlehem to find out if the Messiah of Israel had indeed been born. They just missed it. I 
At least Herod feared Jesus' authority when you think about his response. At least the innkeeper could claim that he was busy and ignorant of the, of the whole thing. But a lot of the men, the religious men of Jesus' time, they knew better. They knew the word of God. They did nothing to respond to it. They were indifferent. They were maybe too busy with themselves to be concerned about who Jesus is. As a matter of fact, when Jesus' ministry finally began, his public ministry began, they were his adversaries. His chief adversaries were the religious people of the day. It's sad, but sometimes Jesus gets lost in all this stuff that goes on. I mean, back then they were looking for a different kind of Messiah. You know, today people are looking for a different kind of Messiah. They really are. They're not looking for a Messiah who would die on a cross for them. They're looking for someone who would support their own religious beliefs. People today, they wanted Jesus, but they don't. But they want him on their, his, their own terms. Um, they want the kind of Jesus that they can control. The kind of Jesus that they can manipulate. The kind of Jesus that will never challenge them. The kind of Jesus who won't ask them to change their ways. They want heaven, but they don't want to talk about hell. They want forgiveness, but they're unwilling to repent and take that forgiveness. They want a cross to wear around their neck, but they don't want Christ. I'm sure you've heard the story of the lady that goes into the jewelry store. She begins looking at crucifixes. And finally, she asks the juror, can I get this one in gold without that little man on it? Didn't have a clue. That's all around us. That's all around us. We have to stop and we have to say, hey, you know what? What is this really about? What is this really about? Is it something that, you know, God wants us to maybe deal with a little differently this time of the year? We don't want to miss it. Remember back in 1903, in December 17th, Wilbur and Orville Wright made their very first flight. And it was, I mean, just an epic. Can you imagine flying for the first time? I mean, now we get on airplanes, we don't think anything about it. But back in Kitty Hawk, the first time they ever flew, and after that was completed, they flew for 12 seconds, by the way. After they completed that, he Wilbur rushed right to the telegraph office with a message for his sister Catherine. And the message said this, We have flown for 12 seconds. We will be home for Christmas. And upon receiving the telegram, Catherine hurried to the newspaper office to speak with the editor, and she described her brother's flying machine and what they accomplished at Kitty Hawk. And she mentioned that Orville and Wilbur would be home for Christmas. And if he'd like to set up an interview, that could be arranged. And the editor smiled and said, Oh, I'm sure he put something in the paper about it about the Wright brothers and what they're up to, and so on. December 19th, the local newspaper ran the following headline on the sixth page of the newspaper. Wright brothers home for Christmas. Talking about missing the point. Totally missed the point. 
That's what happens at Christmas time today. People totally miss the point. And we have to, as Christians, just remind people that, you know what? God desires us to look at this indescribable gift and to really open our hearts to it. And to ask God to say, boy, you know, how can I be different this time of the year? Help me not to be like everybody else. There's a lady who was running through a mall, going store to store to store, shopping, just shopping her brains out, <clears throat> trying to get some last-minute gifts on Christmas Eve. And <clears throat> suddenly she realized she, couldn't, she didn't have her little boy with her anymore. She had all these packages. She's frantically going back through the mall. And finally, she sees her little boy with his nose pressed up against one of the store windows, looking at a beautiful nativity set. And she runs up to him and grabs him. And he's like, oh, you know, what are you doing? You know, you're supposed to do with me. He goes, I'm just looking at Jesus in the window, mommy. And her response was grabbing by the shoulder. We don't have time for that, silly. Let's go. We got to go get these. <laughs> Talk about from the mouth of babes. See, we need to stop and, and gaze upon the face of God this time of year. We need to stop all the hurriedness, stop all the craziness, and just say, you know what, God, just give me a couple minutes a day. Just a couple minutes a day to worship you. I think I shared this illustration last year, but you know how it is when you're out shopping and you have all your packages and you know, you're in one of these big malls that has multiple stories and you go to the elevator and you're waiting and the door's open and it's packed with people, right? Well, one lady... The door's open, you know, they kind of, everybody's looking at her like, don't, you're not coming in here, you know, she had all her, but she, you know, you got to move back a little bit, I'm getting in, she wasn't going to wait for another one. She turned around and they're all squeezed in there. It's just, you know, it's just frustration, everybody's frustrated. And, uh, you know, you could just, you could just kind of sense it. And finally somebody talked. And it was her. And here's what she blurted out. Whoever's responsible for this whole Christmas thing, we ought to be arrested, strung up, and shot. Said that in a crowded elevator. Some other people kind of, you know, kind of, kind of agreed in a way. Finally, some distant voice in the back of the elevator said, don't worry, they already crucified him. See, we, we can't lose sight of the fact that God's gift to us is something that he planned out before the foundation of the world. He took the time and the, the care to know that, you know what, we needed a Savior. And it just seems like somehow today there's no room for him anywhere. And you know what, that wasn't... It's nothing new. I mean, even during the time of Christ, there really wasn't any room for him. (laughs) There wasn't any room for his birth. Remember, there's no room in the inn. When people said they wanted to follow Jesus, he said, I don't have anywhere to lay my head. It seemed like the only place possible, the only place that there was room for the Son of God was at the cross. That's the only place. So we we need to remember that this morning. 
mean, we have to remember that being part of a, a Bible teaching church that hopefully we're blessed with the privilege of hearing God's word day in and day out, Sunday to Sunday, even during the midweek. And what a blessing that is, but there's also a danger there. There's a danger that you almost grow kind of complacent with that. That you listen to truths week after week with a wrong heart. Maybe you listen to truths with no intention of applying what you've heard. You just go through the motions. And what can happen over a period of time of that kind of a diet, your heart begins to to grow hard toward the things of God. You begin to be able to hear truths like, God came down and gave his life for us. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that. I know that. But it doesn't register anymore in your emotions. It's just one of those theological truths that you've been taught since as long as you can remember. Let me say this. If, if you come into contact with holy things and that does not convert or that does not change your heart in some way, it it really has a danger of making you cynical, making you jaded, making you look at the things of God as kind of like, you become indifferent or flippant about those things, about the story of the nativity, about Christ coming to earth, about singing Christmas carols to the Lord. We need to ask God to open our hearts as we look at this gift this morning. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting, have eternal life. Just as we prepare our hearts for communion this morning, just three things quickly that I want to share with you concerning the gift, his indescribable gift that God has given to us. First of all, the gift is Jesus Christ himself. The gift is Jesus Christ himself. The gift of God offers us to know Christ in a personal way. To know Him as a friend. To have fellowship with Him. To have a relationship with Him. The gift of God offers us to be known and loved by Christ, the Son of God. In John 15, 15, Jesus said this, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Do you ever think about that? That Jesus Christ calls us his friends? Or in John 17, 3, John writes this, And this is eternal life, that you may know him, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. question I asked you this morning, have you received this gift, the gift of Jesus Christ? Do you have that kind of relationship with him? Do you know him as your friend? Is he someone you can confide in, someone you can talk to, someone you can discuss things with? Do you feel his presence in your life like you would a close friend? Or do you feel like almost if he showed up at your doorstep, be like the illustration I used a couple Sundays ago. You're trying to clean everything up before you'd even let them in your house.
So you can have that kind of relationship with Christ. All you have to do is ask. All you have to do is go to him and say, God, you know what? I need your mercy. I need your grace. I'm just a sinner. I I need to be saved. I need to know you in a personal way. He'll hear that prayer. You come to him. You call on him. You confess your sins. You ask for forgiveness. And you ask him into your heart. If you mean it from your heart, if you're truly desirous of knowing him today, that can take place. First John 1 John 1.3, the Bible says this, which we have seen and heard and we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Sometimes we miss the fact that a relationship with Christ is really a relationship built on fellowship. And so many times... People who come to Christ, it's almost like they don't come to Christ initially because they think, oh, there's just a bunch of do's and don'ts. That's all it is. I'd have to stop doing all this stuff. I mean, I'd rather be home watching a game or reading the Sunday paper than come to church. You know, those crazy Christians. I mean, you know, somehow God has a way of coming in and changing that attitude. Because it's not a lot of rules. It's not a lot of do's and don'ts. That's not what the Christian faith is about. Does it require obedience? Definitely. But it comes out of a willing heart. You need to remember that he is the gift. Secondly, the gift has great value. The gift has great value. I mean, there's nothing more desirable than knowing Christ. There really isn't. I mean, I don't know how as Christians we could just count that as some ho-hum, oh yeah, yeah, I know Christ. I mean, once our eyes have been opened, once they've looked in the manger, I mean, can you imagine, you know, you see the Son of God and then you see someone that calls yourself his friend, someone who's died and forgiven your sins. You know, when most people look at the nativity scene, they see a baby. That's what they see. A plastic baby or a ceramic baby. When I look at the nativity scene, I see the Savior of the world. I see my personal friend. I see a Savior. I see the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. But unbelievers don't see anything special at all because there's no connection. They don't have the eyes of faith. All they can see is another kind of replica of some little kid. And so they pass by the child in the manger, and instead they seek after the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh (laughs) sitting by his side because they're more interested in the gifts than they are the one who is the true gift. It seems like they don't want the baby, but they want all the presents that go along with it. I mean, which do you value more, the toys and the trinkets of this life? that eventually the Bible says is going to crumble, it's going to fade, it's going to turn into dust, or a relationship with Jesus Christ that the Bible says is going to last forever. In Matthew 13, verse 44 and 46, Jesus says this, And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid. 
And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who when he has found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. See, the Bible says that knowing Christ is worth more than anything else in the world. Knowing Christ is worth more than everything else in the world. We'll never be disappointed by him. He's that treasure. He's that pearl of great price. He's God's gift to us. He's that child in the manger worth more than anything that we could ever possess. Do you know him? Are you seeking him? Can you say, like Paul, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift? And that's the third thing. The gift must be received. The gift must be received. It's available to everyone. But God doesn't force it on them. It's kind of like if you were to try to give a gift to somebody and they said, no, no, I don't want your gift. I mean, you've got to make a choice. I mean, how are you going to force them to take your gift? Couldn't really do that. I mean, you may try to wear them down over a period of time, you know, and you may say, okay, I'll take the gift. <laughs> but see, God's not like that. This gift is available to all. In John 1, 12, it says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. See, not all who heard about him or agreed with his teachings, not all who, uh, you know, attends church, not all who tried to follow this golden rule. It doesn't say that. It says, but all who received him. I grew up in a religion that believed that God's love had to be earned. That somehow the more you did in your spiritual life, the more God loved you, the more God liked you. The more good deeds you could do, the better person you would be. Let me ask you this. If I said, hey, I bought you a great Christmas gift and I gave it to you. Say it's a new iPod or something you really wanted. You opened it up. Man, this is great. Yeah, and and here's the uh, receipt. You know, if you could pay me before the first of the year, I'd appreciate it. (laughs) You'd be like, whoa, wait, wait a minute, what? You just gave me a gift and now you want me to pay you for it? See, a gift we have to pay for is no gift at all. Can you imagine trying to have your kids pay for their Christmas gifts? <laughs> can you, I mean, okay, now that you've got all this nice stuff, here's your chore list and you can earn them off the rest of the year. That wouldn't be a gift. Or maybe you opened up a gift years ago, thought it was really cool, but lately it's just sitting on a shelf somewhere. We all got gifts like that, right? Collecting dust. Maybe you've been too busy or too distracted to use the gift, but it just sits there. You've accepted it, but it's just kind of not doing anything in your life. Maybe the gift is still under the tree and you haven't even opened it yet. Don't leave Christ on the shelf. Don't leave Christ under the tree. Um, Turn to him this morning and just ask him. Say, God, you know what? If you don't know him this morning, God, I want to know you this morning. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Help me to know you in a personal way, God. 
Maybe most of us here do know him in a personal way, but maybe somehow that relationship has grown jaded or cold over the years. And maybe it's a good time before you get in the hustle bustle of everything that goes on the Christmas season to stop and just to say, hey, you know what? I just want to re-kind of commit my priorities to you, Lord. You know, usually you do that around the first of the year, but why not do it, you know, before the Christmas season even really gets kicked off? So that maybe this is the first Christmas you can go through with, without all this craziness creeping in so much that, that Christ is lost. Maybe he can continue to be the center point in your life. God's indescribable gift. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ and all that that means to us as believers. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who is yet to put their faith or trust in you, God, I ask that somehow you would work in their heart through the words that were spoken. Lord, that you would show them um, your love for them, your willingness to forgive them of their sin. And Lord, what a better time than Communion Sunday to cry out to God and to ask him for forgiveness. And Father, maybe... For us that know him, we need to just recommit ourselves to you. Maybe the coals have grown cold. Maybe there is more perspiration than there is inspiration. Maybe there's more work than there is worship. Maybe the joy of sharing Christ with someone who has yet to hear the good news of the gospel doesn't do anything for us anymore. Lord, I pray that we would Remember from where we've come that we would repent as believers, that we would turn to you afresh. And Lord, that we would repeat the things that we remember doing as new believers. How excited we were to have fellowship with other Christians and study your word and pray and sing praises and songs and hymns to you. Lord, I pray that this morning would be that time of recommitment to you. We thank you and we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.